1: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. Thanks for being here with us today. Brian, one of the things that we have kind of tracked over the past year, especially are stories of Christians who are deconstructing. Some of them have left Christianity altogether. Others have simply left kind of evangelicalism as they knew it and are trying to rebuild or reconstruct their faith in a new way. And, um, you know, you and I, I know, have kind of wrestled with our- ourselves as pastors, and we've had uh, lots of great people on kind of talking about their own experience of staying within evangelicalism right. while deconstructing, etc. But I found a new term online recently. It was the first time I've heard it, but I bet we're going to see it more and more and more. Instead <laughs> of ha- yeah, instead of hashtag exvangelical, it is hashtag revangelical. So these are folks who have left evangelical Christianity, called themselves exvangelicals, but are now returning because what they found in the deconstruction movement is that they didn't have the answers that they were actually looking for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I thought this would be really interesting for us to kind of talk about and deconstruct and reconstruct ourselves. But over at the Gospel Coalition, there's a guy by the name of Ian, um, excuse me, Ian Harbour. And he talks about how he left the evangelical faith. He wholeheartedly called himself a hashtag exvangelical. He moved to progressive Christianity, but then he came back. Mm -hmm. And um, Brian, let me just tell you some of the questions that he was asking which is why he first left. And then we'll kind of talk about his journey. Okay. So these are the questions he was asking. What about contradictions and scientific inaccuracies in certain biblical stories? How have we shrugged at passages where God commands Israel to slaughter their enemies and their enemies' children? And how could a loving God condemn his beloved creation to eternal torment? What about other religions? Aren't they all saying basically the same thing? And those questions began really to chip away at his understanding of the authority of Scripture. Um, He also had questions about why do our policies seem to disadvantage poor and marginalized communities? Why are Christians degrading immigrants, people made in the image of God? Um, and something you and I have talked about as well, as important as abortion is, are we also supposed to care about suffering after birth as well? So he left the faith completely. He says he wanted nothing to do with Jesus or the church. All right. Before we dive into that, Brian, those are some tough questions that he brings up. And I pastorally, I mean, you can't answer all of those in one, you know few minute segment here, but are there, Generally, when people come to you with these types of questions, how do you guide them?
2: To ask them like you yeah. want to be asked, because if you don't give freedom to ask questions, then people go, well, they're either scared or can't answer them. So this whole thing's fake or I need to mm-hmm. just throw the baby out with the bat. I need to just kind of be done with it. And so the I think our first tendency is often to say, oh, we can not ask those questions. That's going to lead us into a bad spot when in reality, not asking because the questions are still there. So the reality is not asking the questions will lead you to a bad spot, not vice versa. I think first you want to say ask the questions and then you want to be okay with the time it's going to take. In order to wrestle with them and go uh, like, I love this idea of a evangelical, because what have you and I been saying this whole time as we've discussed deconstructing and all of this? It's this is only helpful if there is a reconstruction yep. on the other side. And exactly. that there's only going to be reconstruction as these questions are wrestled with, as we're honest, as we don't give just, you know, kind of church answers that says, well, you know. Um, you would just have to trust and let God, you know, the, like instead yeah. we're wrestling with them. I think that's healthy. And so I think the biggest thing is to give people, uh, whether it be people in your church, people in your family, yourself, the ability to to ask the questions because they're going to be asked regardless. And so you yes. want them asking you uh, yes. or asking in, within your community. And yes. so I would say that. And then I would say, try to find the answers with them. Like, as opposed mm-hmm. to being sure. like I can't, if, if somebody came up to me um, and just asked, let me just pick one of the questions okay. that you read, right? Like um, how have we shrugged at the passages where God commands Israel to slaughter their enemies and their enemies' children? And if you think I can give you a (laughs) five-minute answer on that and have it all wrapped up, obviously, I read those passages in the Old Testament. I'm like, what is going on here? How do I? And so I think being honest and then going, hey, let's try to wrestle with that together Mm -hmm. and figure it out. I think if we as pastors or we as parents or we as just Christ followers – uh, try to give off the impression that, you know what, you have little faith because you're asking that question. Yeah. You know, what? it takes faith to ask those questions and say God's big enough to be able to, for us to wrestle. So, so I I just want to pound home the fact, ask the questions, Mm -hmm. wrestle together, Mm -hmm. uh, and keep pointing people to Jesus and saying, okay, let's do this. Cause if you don't, then their faith is going, it's gone. And, uh, I, so that's where I would start. How do you, how about you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're exactly right. Give people permission to ask the questions and don't pretend like you're not asking them. And I think the other thing is the God of the Bible is not surprised by your questions. And actually there are answers for them. So I, I think that's what's, and sometimes the answer is, look, it's paradox and it's faith, but sometimes there are actually answers and we have read mm-hmm. scripture in a wrong way or we don't understand the context. And so I, I do think like the, the basic foundation of God is faithful and God's word is dependable We can start there and then we can ask any question that we want to. Um, I think you're right, Brian, like ask the questions, bring them to the Lord, keep going because God welcomes those questions. And that isn't something to be afraid of. That is a beautiful part of strengthening our faith. So going back to Ian's story, he talks about how he actually, so he left the church and he began to explore progressive Christianity. Folks like, we've talked about Rob Bell on the show, Mm -hmm. Michael Gungor, who has a podcast called The Liturgist, a group of progressive Christians. There's also a guy named Science Mike, who I've heard speak before. He's kind of a deconstruction guy. But here's what he says. Then I ran into a problem as I kept listening and kept reading, I realized I did not have the tools to rebuild. I wasn't receiving any of these from these voices. Every belief I had held had been neatly disassembled and laid bare on the floor for examination, but there was no guidance for putting something back together. And here's what he says. I think this is a really strong word that we all need to hear. Helping people deconstruct their faith without also helping them put it back together again is lazy, irresponsible, dangerous, And isolating the goal of deconstruction. This is what you say, Brian. Should be greater faithfulness to Jesus, not Mm -hmm. mere self-discovery or signaling one's virtue. And I, that I think he has he has hit the nail on the head. Yes, that I mean, he's just saying what you have said. But it has to move to reconstruction if it's going to be deconstruction. That's right. So and ultimately, what he says is he moved back to orthodox faith and really began to um, more and more go back to some of the richness of his evangelical upbringing from when he was a kid, returned to Jesus. And it really has a beautiful story of like removing the parts of his faith that actually weren't from God and actually weren't biblical, but moving back to the things that are orthodox and true and beautiful about who Jesus is. And, yeah. and this other statement, I'll just read and then we can wrap up. But he said, progressives those he was following had become just as fundamentalist as the fundamentalist they despised but instead of traditional values being the litmus test it was now wokeness mm. i think that's really interesting all yeah, right brian a yeah. final encouragement from you for those who are in the process of deconstructing
2: i think the encouragement here is that this person and i know it's an individual story but that this person ended back In, in faith to Jesus. Yeah. Right. Like, I think you can look back over this person's journey. And I'm not suggesting this is everybody's journey. Right. Uh, but you can look back over the journey and go, man, I'm sure there were times where his friends and family and everybody were terrified, uh, that he was going to end up, you know, an atheist and whatever. Uh, I think we can be really, um, encouraged that God didn't give up on this person and, and we could take great heart in that and praise God for that.
1: Yep, yep. Thanks for that, Brian. That's a good word for all of us. Well, coming up next, we're joined by Dr. Marina Hoffman to talk about the importance of Mary in this Christmas season. You're not going to want to miss that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and we are so thrilled to be joined by Dr. Marina Hoffman. She's a professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University. She's also written an award-winning book, Women in the Bible, Small Group Bible Study. It's available on Amazon. She also has a free video series on Women in the Bible, which you can find at womeninthebible.info. And we wanted to talk with Marina about mary it's christmas right now we thought it would be so fitting to talk about uh one of the women who made christmas happen mary herself
3: and so marina before we jump in thanks so much for being here oh it's great to be with you i won't mention that i'm coming from south florida because that (laughs) might upset your audience a bit
1: Uh, the fact that i read palm beach atlantic university that made me cry just a little (laughs) bit even as i said where you're a professor marina can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive in
3: Sure. So you said I was a professor and an author, and my favorite role is being a mom and a wife. And here we are in West Palm Beach, just really thankful to be alive and to have faith in Christ. What an anchor for our lives.
2: Yeah, and Marina, it's so good to have you with us. And uh, you were telling us off air that uh, yet you're, you are a mom, but the, your mom story is a little bit of a miracle story. We would just love to hear that part of your testimony in that story.
3: Sure. So seven years ago, I was living in Canada and we were coming home from an event up north and the highway was under construction. It went down to one little lane each way. And you can imagine the horror, 70 miles an hour of both cars and here this car in this one lane doesn't take the bend in the road so in a split second we were crushed at an impact of 140 Mm. miles an hour you can imagine yeah all the injuries we had and really it's a miracle even that we survived and to survive wasn't just one event happening There was about seven events over two hours that happened and Each of them really saved our lives in their own way. But, you know, two years later, I had recovered so much. And we were visiting the doctor because I really wanted a child so bad. And I sat in front of the doctor. And there he did. He he said, we've done all these tests. Your chance of having a baby is 0.00001. Wow. And you can imagine how crushing that was. I had been trying so hard to be perfect, everything I did and ate. But, you know, there was a sense of relief because at that moment, I knew it was in God's hands. So this impossible situation was not about what I ate for dinner last night. It was way bigger and I could just give it to God. And what a beautiful chapter in our recovery that God did allow me to get pregnant. Mm. And even my pregnancy, you know, in short, it healed my physical body, all the scar tissue from her wild kicking. It removed my depression and anxiety, PTSD. So even her life for me was a miracle.
1: Oh, Marina, I mean, that's what it sounds like, a miracle after this very um, incredibly hard experience. So praise God for that. I I, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Since you've written a book about women in the Bible, I thought it'd be so fitting to talk about Mary since she is such an incredible part of Christmas culture. I wonder if you could just tell us why is Mary, why do you think Mary is so important or featured in culture, even for people who aren't Christians?
3: Right. Well, I think the dichotomy is that here she is pictured as so perfect, right? We all picture her with a halo and a child that sits perfectly still. And we think, wow, so holy, so righteous. And I certainly think so far beyond my own experience. And yet I think there are powerful ways that we can relate to her and that she can be an inspiration to us.
2: Yeah. What are some of those ways? Because people, you know, we know the story. Oh, there's Mary. But but what are some of the ways that just kind of understanding who Mary is and what she went through uh, can encourage us and challenge us?
3: Well, fundamentally, Mary's call is to bear Christ. And we all might think immediately that she does that literally. But really, that's only one piece of her story. She continues to bear Christ, to bring Christ to the world. And you know, that's our call as well, to bear Christ through our words and actions every day. So I love that just like Mary literally brought Jesus into the world, we too participate in bringing Jesus into the world to those who don't know him and even those who do know him, those we live with, those we encounter all the time, just being Christ like and showing God's love to them. And Marina, in your own
1: life, I'm just thinking of our listener who may be like, okay, how how do I become more like Mary? How do I bear Christ to the people around me? So for you, what does this look like in your own life?
3: Well, I try my hardest to make sure my priority is the people I'm with all the time. I try to make sure they don't get the short uh, end of the stick. So number one, Aubrey, really is my daughter. I'm homeschooling mom, so I'm with her all the time. And every day, starting the day, praying, God, help me to be filled with your Holy Spirit today. And you know, Aubrey, it used to impact me so much when she was one and two, because she didn't know Jesus. She didn't know God. All she knew about Jesus was me, my actions and my words. And even as she gets older and now she knows a lot of the story, really, I think that how I act toward her will be formative in her understanding of God as she grows older.
2: Yeah. And we often just think of Mary at the birth of Jesus uh, at the stable in Bethlehem. Uh, But Mary's kind of plays a role throughout Jesus's life. We see Mary pop up in other places. Why don't you talk about that, how Mary's role is not just at Christmas?
3: Sure. Well, we know the story of Mary at the wedding. And here Jesus is resistant to starting his ministry. And isn't it incredible? It's Mary who really pushes him and says, yes, now is the time. And Jesus, of course, doesn't think it is, but ultimately does start his ministry. So what a reflection of Mary's impact on his life. And then we see Mary throughout the Gospel of Luke, the death of Christ, the resurrection. And I think once Jesus has ascended to heaven, and has physically left the earth, we would say, Mary, well done. What were your dreams? What was your vision of the future as a young girl? You can do what you want now. And yet we find Mary is continuing to bring the ministry and message of Jesus. She's found in the upper room with the apostles, establishing the early church. And Brian, what an example of lifelong faithfulness and commitment to God's call, even we can say beyond the words of the angel.
1: Mm, That's that's such a powerful example for all of us. And I'm just thinking about applying this to our own life, Marina. Obviously, Mary knew what she was called to do because she had an encounter with an actual angel, but many of us are not having encounters with angels. So how do we know in our day-to-day life what God has called us to do?
3: Right. And that encounter with the angel was life changing for Mary. And yet, Aubrey, I think we've gone through a life changing event. Even these last two years, we're at a place where we didn't see this as our future. So... What can we learn from Mary being willing to say, God, your plans are not exactly necessarily my plans, but whatever you have for me, I will have a willingness to move forward and answer that call, whatever challenges come, because I know you are with me and I have the Holy Spirit.
2: Uh, Marina, people who've never really thought of Mary, a lot of, t- a lot of us in the Protestant church, right? We kind of... Um, get worried that the Catholics make such a big deal of Mary. And so, you know, we've gone too far the other way. Uh, besides reading your book, what, what are some meditations? What are some thoughts? What are some readings we could do this Christmas season to even begin the path of going? Yeah, Mary's a very important figure that I can learn from. What would you encourage people to do?
3: You know, I'm going to go old school and say, why not read the Bible? Read (laughs) the story of Luke, right? Read it once, read it again, read it again. Um, Brian, I know you'll agree with me. There's something that happens and maybe we can even say to our very soul, but certainly our mind and heart. When we read a story over and over and we begin to our shoulders drop and we read it slowly, God really begins to speak in different ways. The more we read the stories, because we pick up on some of the fine details that we would miss with just a quick reading when we're almost on a mission to get that chapter done, which was our required reading for the day.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good reminder for all of us to do a slow reading of the scripture. Um, Marina, just with the last few minutes that we have together, do you have a final word of encouragement
3: for our listeners? Sure. You know, the angel says to Mary, the angel's last words are that no word from God will ever fail. And I think those are words for us to live by. First, to dive into God's word, just like we're saying, what are the words of God? What are the promises of God? And then to hold on to them. And I think um, an encouragement to us is not only to read the word for ourselves, but really to surround ourselves with friends who will encourage us to have faith, to keep believing in the promise. Of God. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this study. I hope that people will study God's word together because we need support, we need fellowship, perhaps now more than any time in history. Mm.
1: Oh, such a good word for all of us, especially this time of year. Dr. Marina Hoffman is a Bible professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University. We've been talking with her about her award-winning book, Women in the Bible, Small Group Bible Study. You can find more about Marina at womeninthebible.info. You can connect with her on Instagram at Marina Hoffman. Marina, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me at this special time of year, and Merry Christmas to all our listeners today. Merry Christmas to you as well. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
2: Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined by the author of a new book called Unleashing Peace, Experiencing God's Shalom in Your Pursuit of happiness. He's also the president and founder of the Christian Thinker Society and the host of the Jeremiah Johnston Show podcast. He is Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Jeremiah, how are you doing today? I'm doing
4: great. Great to be on the show with you guys. Uh, Greetings from the great state of Texas.
2: There you go. It's great to have you with us. You're coming from Texas. We're up here in the cold of Illinois. But uh, hey, Jeremiah, before we jump into the book and some other stuff, why don't you just introduce yourself so our audience can get to know you a little bit better?
4: All you all need to know is I am the overstressed father of multiples. My wife and I, uh, we were unable to get pregnant for five years. And so now I tell people, be careful what you pray for, because we now have five children, including triplet boys. So like I said, I've not slept in five years. So, uh, (laughs) hey, the calling of my life, you know, I I became my ministry. My wife and I did before we ever realized we had one, Brian and Aubrey. We just Mm -hmm. wanted to go deeper in our faith. And for us, that meant going to England and pursuing pursuing an educational track that would give me the same educational pedigree of much of the skeptics that you would be familiar with, except we're iron-fisted for Jesus Christ. And Mm. our passion is to help communicate the faith in a conversant way. And that just simply means that all of our listeners have the ability to answer the big questions they have about their life. God's a big boy. He can take our toughest questions. There's 3,200 questions in the scriptures. And that's uh, that's what we're dedicated to, helping people fulfill the great commandment, which is love God with their heart, soul, and mind.
1: Oh, just absolutely love that. Love that mission. And I love, Jeremiah, that you, a father of triplets and more kids, are writing a book on peace. I feel like that's <laughs> that's uh interesting. But here's what I love. The title, <laughs> Unleashing Peace, Experiencing God's Shalom in Your Pursuit of Happiness. I think we have a pretty anemic understanding of what shalom is. Can we just dive in and you tell our listeners what in the world is biblical shalom?
4: Aubrey, great question, and you're absolutely right. Um, I, I wanted to know more of God's peace in my own life. And keep in mind, I, I have a PhD, which means I know a lot about a little, you guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the little area that I have specialized in is the Gospels, is the historical Jesus, is the teaching of Jesus. That's my area of, of academic specialty. And when I study what's happening right now in the world around us, when there's been a 51% increase in inpatient hospitalizations among our young mm. people. 12 to 18 this year alone. I knew there was a mental health crisis long before there was a pandemic, and I was burdened that the church wasn't speaking about it, because Jesus Christ makes no distinction between mental and physical challenges, none whatsoever in the Gospels. And Jesus, if we could have heard, him, my job, Aubrey, is to pull us back to the first century to understand how huge, how weighty, how significant, how cogent this term shalom was for the audience of those first Christians. Uh, Shalom is a weighty term it shows up 550 times in the scriptures. It doesn't mean an absence of war or an absence of conflict or a truce. It means wholeness, completeness, lacking nothing. And what's amazing is when we have peace with God, Romans 5.1, the scriptures then can show us how to live in shalom and experience the God of peace and the peace of God. But for so many Christians, it's elusive, isn't it? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh And let's jump in there. Uh, why is it elusive? Because it seems like it's a promise made to us. We should be experiencing this peace. But I think you very rightfully in your book say this is something that we all miss. Many of us miss. Why are we missing God's peace in our life?
4: Yeah. And why was I missing it in my own life as the author? Like, what was it? I knew I knew I had peace with God, but I felt like I was not experiencing shalom, this completeness, this wholeness. And and Brian, there's so many ways that we could go in this, but here's the big, here's the big idea of the book. The shalom of God. First, our audience needs to understand it is God's will for every follower of Jesus to have his peace. Like you don't have to question that. God doesn't want you to live in conflict. Doesn't mean you're not going to have troubles. Doesn't mean you're not going to have adversity. We know that. But we can experience peace, a peace that is beyond comprehension. But here's here's the here's the problem with today's culture. We want it in five minutes Mm -hmm. and we don't want to have to work for it. And we don't want it to be a discipline, but guess what? What I've learned, the peace of God is a discipline, Brian. And so in the book "An unleashing peace, I want to guide the leaders by guide all the readers by the hand of that. Here's the big idea. You know, I'll just put it this way. So many of your audience, you know, they have financial plans They have educational plans. They have five-year plans, 10-year plans. Guess what? We need a shalom peace plan. Peace happens when I have a plan for it and when I make it a discipline.
1: Mm, That's so good, Jeremiah. And again, if you want to know more about this peace plan, you can buy Jeremiah's book, Unleashing Peace, Experiencing God, Shalom and Your Pursuit of Happiness. Jeremiah, I wonder if you would give us a little peek inside and perhaps tell us like one or two points, like how do we even start this uh, shalom plan or peace plan in our own lives?
4: Absolutely. Well, first, first, I want to just let you know, peace is a process. It is a discipline and it is give yourself grace to understand that transformation is a process. We come to faith in Christ in a moment, but living in Shalom is a process. Transformation is a process. But when you make a decision to live in Shalom, when you do what Paul did, and I want to encourage our audience with this because the apostle Paul was a professional warrior. I think we sometimes miss this when we read the scriptures. Like, if you open up 2 Corinthians, I wish we had more time to talk. In chapter 2, he has a huge opportunity in front of him in Troas, and he says, I had no peace of mind, and he fails. Mm-hmm. And I can think of areas in my life, Brian and Aubrey, where God was moving, but I didn't have peace of mind, and I didn't take the steps of faith that I needed to. I didn't have the peace of God. And it takes Paul for six to seven years from writing 2 Corinthians to figure out a peace plan in his own life. Mm-hmm. And then in Philippians 4, he gives us the greatest anti anxiety passage in all the Bible. And here's what's cool about it. There's two, there's two things to a peace plan. Number one, my life has to be bolted to the truth. We have to learn the peace of God. And Aubrey, we have to learn the shalom of God. Yeah. And then a big idea for me too, and you guys probably would understand this with how awesome your show is, there's 3,200 questions in the Bible. I'm fascinated that Jesus asks more questions than he answers our ministry, Christian Thinker Society, is dedicated to helping believers answer those difficult questions they have about their faith. But here's what I've learned in the peace of God. And, and yes, we, there's great evidences, there's great reasons for us to be a Christian, but there are some questions for which there are no answers. Life is just terrible. It's problematic. It's, there's a tension there. And so another big idea of the Shalom plan is I have to learn, by, I have to, learn to live by faith in God's promises, not explanations. Mm. And we see that throughout the scriptures and there's 7,487 promises from God to us in the Bible. And there's a promise for every problem that we face.
2: Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah, I'd love to hear more about the Christian Thinker Society because Aubrey and I talk a lot on the show. We're both pastors. We talk a lot on the show that we need to be encouraging people to ask the hard questions. We need to be walking with people as they ask the hard questions. Talk to us a little bit about the Christian Thinker Society.
4: Yeah. It, over 10 years ago, my wife and I felt a burden that the Christians almost thought it was a sin to question their faith. It's not a sin to question your faith. It's not a sin to doubt your faith. Faith does not equal certainty. Faith equals mm. trusting God through the uncertainty. And what's amazing, um, Brian and Aubrey, this is the most exciting time to be a follower of Jesus in the history of Christianity in the last mm. 2000 years. There's more evidence available today that proves buttresses that evidences our faith and at any other time in the history of Christianity, I want to make sure people understand there's more evidence now than ever to believe that Jesus rose from the grave and to follow Jesus Christ as savior. And yet, and and here's the other part of it. We have the smartest Christians of all time in our churches. And I don't just mean by degree, I mean, self-educated successful. And, but here's the tension. And I hope you don't mind me just being transparent. Time is short we have the dumbest christians of all time in our churches in the west <laughs> not
3: so real and,
4: you know and they're biblically illiterate and they're not being challenged and they're not they go to google instead of god's word mm. and so our ministry is very church centric we're not about criticizing the church we're about jumping in there saying hey we want to create res- create resources curriculum events media anything to help. And it shouldn't just be the Delta Force Christians like Brian and Aubrey. All of us need to love God with our hearts soul, and mind. You know what I mean? And so we do, we're, we're on a peace tour right now where we're going around churches. And, we're, and we minister in all denominations because all denominations need Christian thinkers. And so I'm delighted that um, I, I don't get any pushback. Every Christian I meet wants to own their faith more. They just need yeah. to know how. And so rather than criticize them, I want to guide them by the hand and show them those evidences that I've come to learn in my own life.
1: It's good. Jeremiah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's been a difficult two years. It is a difficult time of year for a lot of families and individuals with the holidays, a lot of anxiety, worry, mental pain, and just hurt right. in general. I just wonder if you would kind of be a pastor to our listeners for a little bit. And as we begin to close our time with you, can you offer a word of encouragement or truth about God's peace for them right now?
4: Absolutely. The, the, the Lord of peace, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, May the Lord of peace himself be with you in every way. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And my pastoral word of encouragement is this. Let's not repeat what we see play out in Jeremiah chapter 6.14, where Jeremiah says, You put a Band-Aid on your wounds and you say, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. And pastors Aubrey and Brian, we have a bunch of Christians in our church, and I love my brothers and sisters, but we're looking for peace where there is no peace. Mm. There is no shalom away from Jesus Christ. There is no peace apart from building a discipline of God's peace in my life. And that starts with how I think. If you open up Philippians 4, 8, and I'll leave you with this, it's 32 English words, and there's one verb, legizomai, how we think. It's all. It all starts there. The peace of God starts with what I focus on. I can't help the crazy thoughts that come through my head. I'll have 6,000 thoughts today, but I can control the compass of my life. And I want that compass to be governed by God's truth aided by the Holy Spirit of God, who is the God of all comfort. And it's available for you right now. So I encourage people, make a peace plan. Understand it is God's will for you to live in peace, but also give yourself grace. Know that transformation is a process. Paul, It took Paul 30 years to write Philippians 4. He had been a Christian 30 years. So let's practice a little more grace to each other, too, and not be a Pharisee, not shoot our wounded when we're having mental challenges.
2: That's such a good word, friend. Dr. Jeremiah Johnston is the president and founder of the Christian Thinker Society, also the host of the Jeremiah Johnston Show podcast. And we want to encourage you to go pick up his new book, Unleashing Peace, Experiencing God's Shalom in Your Pursuit. Of happiness. You can learn more about him and his books at ChristianThinkers.com or on Twitter at underscore Jeremiah J. That's at underscore Jeremiah J. Jeremiah, uh, this has been our pleasure, man. Have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy Texas, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime.
4: (laughs) Merry Christmas. Thank you, Brian and Aubrey.
2: Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good. AM eleven sixty, hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. All right, so you and I do this on the show a lot. We're pastors. We love to put in front of people pastors that we respect. We love, we love to listen to just even little clips, sermon audio clips. So we, you know, Matt Chandler, Tim Keller, Tony Evans, other people, and one of them, he's been on the show a couple times. He's a friend of yours. uh, Is Doctor Derwin Gray? uh people might remember derwin is an ex nfl player he's written multiple books he is uh at transformation church that's in North south, Car- Terli- south North- carolina south carolina is it, is it South north or
1: South? I always, you know, even last time I was with him, I was like, are you in North Carolina or South Carolina? And now I still can't remember. Isn't We're that gonna terrible? We're
2: going to look that up. We're going to look that up. But he's at a big church called Transformation Church. Does great work. Uh, and Derwin Gray preached. You know, I was on Twitter and there was a sermon clip of him. So I listened to it and I said, oh, that's good stuff. So yeah, he's such I, a great preacher. I want you to hear it because I think this is a really important point he makes. And then we'll discuss it. Let's listen to Dr. Derwin Gray.
5: If the cross of Christ only forgives your sin but does not affect racism that cross is too small. If the cross of Christ only forgives your sin, but does not affect your greed, that cross is too small. If the cross of Christ does not affect your misogyny, then the cross is too small. The cross of Christ transforms life because there's nothing like the blood of Jesus, and all it takes is one drop that when that blood gets in you, it is a holy transfusion. It is a holy transformation that affects every single aspect of our being, even the universe itself, Romans 8.22 is saying, we long for redemption. Don't minimize the blood of Jesus to simply a one-way ticket to heaven when you die. The blood of Jesus rains down heaven on earth through people who've been soaked in his blood.
2: All right, Aubrey, the cross of Christ doesn't just forgive our sins. It tra- it transforms yes. every aspect of our lives. And he gives some examples in the passionate way that Derwin does. Uh, but Aubrey, this is such an important point because a lot of us have grown up with or we live with this idea that Jesus died so I can go to heaven. It's my ticket. It's uh you know, we've often heard it flippantly described as fire insurance. It's my way out of hell right, right. into heaven, which is an important aspect yes, it is. of it. It's not an either or here. Uh, but why is what Derwin's telling us here that it's got to transform every aspect of our lives now? Uh, that, that, and if it doesn't, then our cross is too small. What do you think about what Derwin had to say here?
1: Well, I, I mean, this is the gospel, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That, that That is not, I, I do think we've taken one aspect of the gospel and we have at least in like evangelical West, we have made it the only aspect of the mm-hmm. gospel that Jesus died so we could go to heaven. And like you said, Brian, amen, like that is good news. So let's not ever make that smaller than it ought to be. But the reality is we are called as Christians to be people who are becoming like Christ. And so the cross impacts our relationship with the Lord and one another i mean this is why we're called to love the lord god with our heart soul mind and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. like the, mm-hmm. the gospel the cross impacts both of those relationships as people say the horizontal and the vertical right, right. and um i do think this is so important right now mm. in our culture that is toxic divisive mean-spirited and maybe getting way too caught up in like, no, this you're preaching a social gospel when you tell us to be against racism. Well, no, we're preaching the gospel because the cross of Jesus Christ isn't just about forgiveness of sins. It is that 100%. It is also about transforming our relationships. And I don't know why people are afraid to um, admit or to talk about the mm-hmm. fact that the gospel mm-hmm. impacts our relationships? Because to me, that's part of the incredible good news. Like, yeah. amen, Lord, apart from you, our relationships, we would just destroy each other. But because of you, there can be reconciliation. Scripture calls us ministers of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Like, this is such good news. And so I, I, what I love hearing Derwin Gray say is that— I, what I love about Derwin Gray saying this is that I do feel like I'm hearing more and more pastors say this. And so I do think the Holy spirit overall is deepening our understanding as a church of what the gospel is. And that's great news. The the war, the God is still at work in us.
2: And there's that fine line. We as Christ followers need to, to walk, right. It's kind of the fine line that Jesus describes in John 17. I'm not sending you into the, I'm sending you into the world, but you are not of the world, but you're being sent in to transform the world. Um, it's this idea that, uh, if, if, if our view of the gospel is just, I am, uh, here biding my time until I can punch that ticket to heaven, yeah. then, then we're going to bubble off, right? We're going to separate. We're going to kind of live, um, just amongst other believers and not s- only see the world as a dangerous place, right? This is just a dangerous mm. place to be avoided, to be protected yeah. from until I get to go to the good place. And, uh, instead what John 17 tells us is no no while you're here Jesus says I'm sending you into the world to bring transformation as you said reconciliation uh, to bring this good news and, and and we we have to believe that the good news of Christ brings hope now brings uh reconciliation yeah. now brings yeah. unity now um, and you could go too far the other way that it's not you know, that it's mm-hmm. only about now. That is also not the case. Right. Uh, but we need to have this mission mindset that says, no, no, it makes a difference. Now, how would we know if we're getting this wrong, Aubrey? How would somebody listening right now go, yeah, maybe I do. I don't have a full enough view of the power of the gospel, say, for what it could do now and in the future?
4: Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, I think there are some ways to gauge if you're too heavenly minded and you're not focusing on your earthly relationships or your only hope is like, getting out of here one day, you know, I think that should be a signal to you, like, hey, that's actually a great thing that you have the hope of heaven, but oh, maybe I'm missing out on what God wants to do in my life now. And I think alternatively, there's a lot of Christians right now that I think are even questioning, like, is heaven real? And so, I, you know, I think if you're someone so focused on the systems of this earth, and you're putting all of your hope in the systems of this earth changing and making things right, then that's a clue to you like yes that is a good thing god wants you to focus on that but also let's not forget our ultimate hope is when jesus returns or when we're with him one day and so i um you, you know i think just ask yourself like where does my heart go where do my thoughts mm-hmm. go when i'm praying what am i praying about when i'm focusing what am i focusing on am i hiding up af- like in my home afraid of this world just like hey it's going to be destroyed who cares i'm like you said this is my ticket out of here or am I concerned with the things that concern God? Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, there's grace for all of this, right? Like all of all of us do this better day by day with the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. But I certainly think it's worth just stopping to question, examine, and then ask the Lord to, to move you in the direction That's he wants good. you
2: to move. That's good. And I think one more thing that came to mind for me is you could also look at your life. If, if Jesus is just part of your life and not Lord over all these things, Uh, both today and in your future, then you probably know that you're missing the point a little Mm, bit, right? That's good. If if how Christ calls us to live is not determining how I treat other people now or how I view my money now or whatever Mm -hmm. else, that's probably also a big red flag. Well, thankful for Dr. Derwin Gray. Well, I'm hopeful he'll come on the show again sometime. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and we are so thrilled that you're with us today. This time of year, there are, you know, incredible Christmas movies and shows to watch. You and I have already had a top five list on our favorite Christmas movies, but one of those really beloved Christmas specials is A Charlie Brown Christmas. Don't you feel like that's such a, like, I think it's so delightful. I love that the gospel message is shared in it. Do you guys watch that one as a family?
2: We don't, but I do like it. I mean, when it comes on, you kind of watch it. That was it.
1: disappointing, Brian. I thought I for know. sure you would be like, yes,
2: we, of course we watch it. I know. It. I could lie. You want to go back? We can edit this. I yes. Like, Ed-
1: Rewind. Rewind. <laughs> Brian's <laughs> going to say he did. and his family watch it Talks every night. It <laughs> so
2: I'm not against it, like you know, but I, I don't tend to uh, watch it. But no, it is. You're dead. not
1: anti-Charlie Brown. I'm not <laughs> anti-Charlie. <laughs> but
2: it is fun. No, it is fun. Tell people why. You clearly well, love it.
1: I love it. I think it's so nostalgic and delightful. I love that the gospel message is preached every year. But here's what is so cool about it is there is a really incredible story behind the Charlie Brown Christmas special that I want our listeners to hear. So let's take a listen to that.
2: Its story begins in 1965 when CBS asked producer Lee Mendelson if he could put together a Christmas special in six months. And my father called Charles Schultz and he said, hey, I just sold a Charlie Brown Christmas to CBS. And Charles Schultz said, what's that? Jason Mendelssohn is Lee Mendelsohn's son. And my father said it's something you and I have to write over the weekend. Schultz agreed to write the script, but the special would need just the right music. And that's when Mendelsohn heard a Vince Guaraldi song on the radio. Once the special was ready, Mendelsohn showed it to the network executives. They hated everything about it. The music, what's this jazz? The animation, It's this is not what we expect. There's religion in it, and there's feelings. You'll
4: by the
2: but the special was a monster hit. It won an Emmy, it's been on TV every Christmas since 1965, and Giraldi's score became one of the best-selling jazz albums of all time.
1: Okay, so I think there's a few things about the story behind a Charlie Brown Christmas special that are really, really worth noting. One, that the network hated it at first, but now it has become one of the most popular, beloved Christmas specials that it has played every year since 1965. And every year since 1965, Linus is there on that stage preaching the gospel, explaining the true meaning of Christmas, that Jesus Mm -hmm. was born to us in a manger. And then the other thing that I think is amazing is these, you know, men who are now grown older men or children, when they recorded this song, they got $5 for their time. They didn't get royalties. (laughs) They didn't get anything. And now the thing has like broken records. Apparently it's been listened to more than like the most popular pop songs of all times, Which, you know, funnily enough, in the special, these guys are like, yeah, that's a little depressing because we didn't get royalties for this. And so five dollars was all they got. But it is still a beloved classic today. I know. Is that isn't that kind of interesting? Do you think
2: you're bitter about that or do you think you're just happy that, like, look at the world is being blessed by what we created and what we did? Are you like, what the heck? We could be like have lots of money because of this.
1: I mean, I feel like it's got to be both. Right. Like, I think I would be feeling a little bit better and like, man, why was no one taking care of the kids and their families then? But also, like, isn't it cool that you were, isn't it cool that you were part of something that became like such a, such a like core of our Christmas culture in America? I think that would feel, that would feel really rewarding. But here's what I think is really interesting, Brian. The real, the real conversation is, you know, that's a really unlikely medium where the gospel is being spread. Like the word of God is actually Mm -hmm. spoken through Linus. And every year since 1965, this thing is being aired. I imagine at some point the world is going to decide like Charlie Brown can't be shown on public television anymore. But right now it still is because it's so classic. And I, you know, to me, it's a reminder that God often uses unlikely things to spread the gospel. And then I also think it's a reminder, like, you know, we push back a lot on technology being used to spread the gospel in our Christian world. But I mean, look at what God has done through this. So, I I mean, Brian, I know maybe this is a stretch, but I actually think it's really beautiful. How does God use unlikely things to
2: spread Mm. the gospel? I I, I mean, we could do a whole show on that, right? Like he uses unlikely people. One of my favorite things to say at our church is, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and that should make you really happy because you're super ordinary, right? We all need to <laughs> That's that. good. Yep. Uh, so God uses ordinary people. That's the story of Christmas. Mary, Joseph, down through the disciples, and, yep. and so on. Uh, so God uses ordinary people. But like you said, um, why am I forgetting his name? Who did we have on? Tim Mulhof to talk about common grace. <gasps> right. That really stuck with me yesterday. Mm. This idea that God uses the common things in our lives, these common graces, TV being one of them to bring blessing, but also advance his gospel. So yes, Charlie Brown is just like this, um, you know, this fun cartoon that's been passed down through the ages, but it's actually preaching the gospel to people who would never go inside a church
3: absolutely, and would
2: never do that. And so God does that all the time. It's actually fun to sit back and be like, okay, how was this uh, innovation used? How was this uh person you and, and you see this. This is a biblical concept mm-hmm. over and over and over again that yes, a cartoon like Charlie Brown that is just a heartwarming thing at Christmas can actually be used by God to to further his kingdom. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's I, I love that. I think that's an encouraging encouraging thought for all of us also by the way that song christmas time is here i mean that whole soundtrack by vince garaldi is just beautiful that song christmas time is here which i think they wrote super quickly because it was like they had to they had to make the special so there was like no time it is a beautiful kind of melancholy christmas song so if you haven't listened to it in a while ask siri or alexa whoever plays your music to play christmas time is here and listen to it and then i think Take the time to thank God that he uses these unlikely small things, including us, to spread his word. Um, Brian, there's another Christmas movie that uh, critics hated, but has become kind of a standard Christmas movie. Do you have a guess what it is?
2: A Christmas movie that critics hated, but became a standard movie. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation.
1: Um, That is probably accurate, but it's actually Home Alone. Oh, for real? Yeah, critics hated Home Alone. and now I mean, tell me, you guys at least watch
2: Home Alone. It's been a long oh, time. I'm not oh, sure my kids have ever seen. One of my kids has seen it. I'm not sure we've ever sat down as a family. I feel family. like you
1: are lying when you say you love Christmas. <laughs>
2: <laughs> good point, Val. I'm caught. I'm caught.
1: Busted. We, we
2: did watch Christmas Vacation the other day with the kids.
1: Oh, my sister loves that movie. That's a That's good fine. one too. All right. go ahead with Home Alone. Well, no, just that's just another example, like the Charlie Brown Christmas special. The network hated it, but it has become so beloved. And same with Home Alone, like critics hated it, but it has become a beloved movie. It doesn't share the gospel as much, but it sure is a fun one. Especially for those of us who live in Chicago. Well, coming up next, Brian, you and I did our top five Christmas movie list, but we're going to talk about relevant magazines' list of best Christmas movies and where you can watch them. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <music> everybody welcome back to the common good my name is aubrey sampson alongside my co-host brian Fromm, and we have all things christmas on our mind one of those things is christmas movies brian you just shared with us that your family doesn't watch the charlie brown christmas (laughs) or home alone what i feel guilty yeah you should feel guilty about that the lord is judging you for that but what are your um what are your big family christmas movies that you watch
2: so I've told you this a couple times over the last couple of weeks. Number one is Elf. That is probably the only one that we watch every year. Yeah, that's watch, such a great one. Uh, like we sit down and we watch Elf. And uh, it's oftentimes on the same day that we put up the Christmas tree. So uh, I uh, that is the only one that we are like, we're watching Elf That's this like year. your
1: family Christmas movie. Yes, I love it. Yes. Okay. How about you? Yeah, we we definitely watch Elf every year. We haven't watched it yet, yet this year, but I think we're going to pretty soon. And then we we're big fans of kind of the old school Mickey Mouse Christmas cartoons. So okay. for some reason we always sit down and watch those every year, which is which is pretty fun. Well, Relevant Magazine has their list of the best Christmas movies and where to watch them. Here's what I thought we could do, Brian. We're going to rate their suggestions on a scale of Rudolph's. Okay. So we're, we're, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read you what they are and we're going to rate them like one Rudolph is the worst or zero Rudolph's is worse. Let's be honest. Five Rudolph's is the best. That is the most Rudolph's a movie can get. Okay. Are you ready okay. for it?
2: I really like this. I like the Rudolph's. Okay. okay.
1: All right. Here's the first one. A Christmas Story, which is available on HBO Max.
2: I am going to give A Christmas Story. I really love A Christmas Story. I'm going to give that for Rudolph's. Wow,
1: for Rudolph's. okay. I, I
2: think we're going to start here uh, because that movie is funny. I know you uh, love that movie. It really holds up. Every time you watch that, there's like a new part of it. And it. Well, another reason I would give it for Rudolph's is because my kids liked it when I showed it to them last oh, year. Okay. I believe. Okay. And so for an older movie to be able to hold up. I think is important. So I'm going for Rudolph. Okay. About that's, you? Just,
1: that's a strong ranking. I think I have told you that this movie, I mean, even talking about it now, my shoulders are getting tense. Like this movie stresses me out so much. Like, I don't know. Ralphie's anxiety just like is over the top for me. So I can barely watch this movie. I do not enjoy it, but I recognize that it's beloved and a good movie. But because I have such a visceral reaction to it, I'm gonna give it three Rudolphs.
2: Okay, okay.
1: That's three for me. Okay, here's the next one A Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, available on Amazon Prime. How many Rudolphs would you give that one?
2: So, this is where I'm probably gonna cause people to turn off their radio. (laughs) I'm gonna give this one only two Rudolphs.
1: Dang, Brian.
2: I know this is like one of the most classic movies of all time. Yeah. I don't enjoy it. Like when I <laughs> fair, when it, fair. like I feel like we're all supposed to enjoy. It's a wonderful life and there mm-hmm. are aspects of it. But if mm-hmm. it's uh, here's here's how I really rate these things. Aubrey, one of the ways I would rate this, if this is on, if I'm changing the channels or I'm on the guide mm-hmm. and it's on, am I even thinking about changing over to it? And this might make me bah humbug, a bad person, a bad Christmas person. I would never change over to "It's a Wonderful Life." So for okay. me, that's two Rudolphs. Yeah, I think that's big. I, I yeah, I think you're going to feel differently. Go ahead.
1: Okay. I yeah, I'm going to give it four Rudolphs because I, I I do understand what you're saying. Like it, it's a movie that requires a lot from you, so it isn't necessarily one you're just going to like put on while you're wrapping presents, or you know, it's not going to put you in this like mm-hmm. great spirit. But I do think the story itself is beautiful and strong and emotional, and for that reason, I would give it a four.
2: Okay, but would okay. you watch it if you were if you and Kevin? I'll take Kevin out of this. Yeah. If you were home alone, Kenna no, (no pun intended there). and <laughs> Kevin taking the boys out, and yes. you're home, and you're changing the channel, and it's a wonderful life is on. Are you? Are you stopping?
1: Yeah, I mean, I usually watch it every year. Okay. like I don't necessarily go, oh, I can't wait to watch It's a Wonderful Life tonight. But usually one time in the season, I'm like, oh, I should probably watch. That's a great movie.
2: Okay. okay. So, yep.
1: Yep. Okay, here's the next one. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, available mm. on HBO Max.
2: So, I just watched this with my kids the other day. Uh, you always have to, like, feel like as a pastor, you're to say, there's a couple questionable parts. Yes. Um, but... I, don't, I think I'm going to rate this higher now that I just saw it because it reminded me that it's very funny Okay, uh, and some very funny parts. I'm also going to give this four Rudolphs. Four and Rudolphs. so uh, Rudolphs. I, I think if you'd asked me this last week before I'd watched it, I'd probably be like, oh, it's three. It's fun. Okay. But there were some parts that were just laugh out loud funny that I really enjoyed.
1: Can I make a really massive confession to you?
2: You've never seen it.
1: I have never seen it.
2: You need to watch it this week. I have
1: never seen it. It is my sister's favorite Christmas movie. Kevin loves it. I have never watched it. And I, okay, again, this, it makes me nervous that it's going to be like, a Christmas story and there's too much anxiety with all of Clark Griswold's like haphazard problems.
2: There are minor points of that, but I don't think you'll feel that. I don't think okay. this is like Ben Stiller's uh meet yes. the parents cringe okay. where you're like I okay. have to turn this off. Okay. Uh, no, you need to give it a watch that you okay. yes. So you're giving so, it an incomplete Rudolph's. Yes, this
1: is an N.A. <laughs> Rudolph, because I feel like it's not, it's not fair for me to judge. All right, next one. When we just talked about a Charlie Brown Christmas, I'll go ahead and say I'm going to give it five Rudolph's Ryan, but you're not as big of a fan. So what are you going to give it?
2: I'll give it three for sentimentality. Okay. Like I don't again, it does not pass the will I stop and and give this a okay. watch if it's on TV. So okay. three. that's
1: that's available on Apple TV Plus, by the way. All right. Next one. The Holiday available on Hulu. Uh,
2: that's going to be an incomplete for me because not only oh. have I never seen it, I've never heard of it.
1: Brian, you love a good rom-com, and you haven't seen The Holiday? I have not. You and your wife need to watch it tonight. It is all things Christmas and rom-com. Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, Jack Black. It is delightful. It is romantic. Your kids might even enjoy it, although there's probably some things in there, too, that they shouldn't see. But um, this is one of my favorite holiday movies. I watch this every year. There are years I have watched it two times in a row. This definitely gets five Rudolphs from me.
2: I can say in all honesty, I've never heard the movie.
1: I'm shocked. I think once you look it up, you'll be like, oh, this movie.
2: No, I'm looking at the description <laughs> right
1: and now. You really, Brian, tonight is the night you will watch this.
2: If okay. you don't have
1: Hulu, I will not. No, I'm not allowed to share my password with you. That is illegal. <laughs> just,
2: please just share it over the air right but, now. <laughs> but,
1: so I will not do that, but you should watch it. All right. Next up, A Muppet's Christmas Carol, available on Disney+. Plus.
2: Uh, that's a three for me. My <laughs> wife loves Muppet stuff, yeah, uh, and so we'll watch stuff. I've, I they're good chuckles, and a Christmas Carol's yeah. a great story. So I'll go with three. It's fine. I'm fine yeah. with it.
1: I love Muppets too. I actually love all things Muppets, but this one is not my favorite Muppet. So I'm going to give it a three. Rudolph as well. I agree I with mean, you on that Muppet, one. Okay.
2: The Muppets uh, Take Manhattan is number one.
1: All right. Yeah, that one's so good. Okay, yes. Brian. I'm going to save our. I'm going to save our favorite movie for last. Next one up is How the Grinch Stole. Christmas, the 1966 version available on Peacock. What would you rate that one?
2: That's the cartoon uh, Mm -hmm. that we've all seen. I'm going, that's a strong one. I'm going to give that one four. Okay. Uh, I'm a big Grinch stole Christmas fan, so I'm going going to go with four on that.
1: I think I'll go for Rudolph's on that, too, because I, I would agree with you. I also like that it's fairly short, so you can just sit down and watch it and then be true, done. True. All right. Here we go. Our favorite one. I think we know what we'll both say, but it's fun to talk about anyway. Elf available on HBO Max.
2: I will give Elf infinite number of Rudolphs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Never ending infinity Rudolphs. Whatever
2: the highest we could give, I'm given. I just love this movie. I'll I'll watch this movie if parts of it, if it's on and not Christmas time, but especially (laughs) at Christmas. That's so true. I just love this movie. I really do. I love the movie. And it's silly, it's it's heartwarming, yeah. it doesn't make sense, and that's part of the fun. Right. Uh, yes, I'm giving it the maximum number of Rudolphs.
1: And it's one of those great old comedies that just has so many repeatable lines, and that, that- to me makes a really good that makes a good christmas comedy when when Mm -hmm. everyone is repeating the lines all the time so i will also i'll give it five rudolphs i'm not going to go as far as infinity but i'll I'll (laughs) go (laughs) well we hope you enjoy some christmas movies this holiday season thanks so much for joining us today we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m for brian from i'm aubrey sampson and you've been listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life